I might cut this out because it makes me seem very ignorant (laughs) (laughs) about religions in particular, which is not great. Hi, welcome to the Dan Brown Code. I'm Lena. I'm Forrest. Uh, This is the podcast where we talk about Dan Brown books and how much we hate them, essentially. Yeah. Um, Today we're doing chapters 21 to 40 of Angels and Demons. And uh, when we last left our hero, he was about to learn what antimatter was, although we learned about it in the fact in the beginning of the book. It's not very exciting when we do learn about it. There's a lot of dull Star Trek talk where Robert Langdon pretends that he doesn't like Star Trek as much as he clearly does and fobs it off onto his students. Wait, just a moment. I think we should do the thing that we did last week where we just did a really quick overview of what happened. Yes, I think that's smart. Okay. Um, Okay, so what happened? We learned about antimatter. It turns out some antimatter is missing, very scary, and that it's probably in the Vatican. Our heroes... uh, they go to Bobby the Vatican. And, and Vittoria Vetra, they go to the Vatican in the space plane and then a golf cart. Um, and and uh, they have this thing where the security guard like doesn't believe them and thinks that it's all garbage. But then like a very kind chaplain, question mark? Yes. Uh, the Pope's Chamberlain. Chamberlain does believe them. And then we're off to the races. It's a race against the clock, literally, because it's a 24-hour book. And in, what, six hours, this thing will explode? Something like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we start in the lab, uh, we're helpfully told that Vittoria's dark skin is in contrast with the white lab. Oh, I, I missed that one. Yeah. Lucky I, me. <laughs> I have most Vittoria hi- descriptions highlighted. Oh, good, good. Um, Robert Langdon pretends he's never seen Star Trek, um, and then we're told that good sci-fi, like Star Trek, has its roots in reality, like antimatter, <laughs> which is why Vittoria Vetra approves of it. <laughs> Of antimatter or Star Trek? I think both. Um, (laughs) But she also thinks that Robert Langdon's a big nerd for liking Star Trek. Sure. Although, she's a sci... Okay, just forget it. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty boring. We get some explanations of how uh, Leonardo Vetra extracted enough antimatter that you could create usable quantities of it. It involves xenon and stuff, and... It might all be bullshit. It might be real. Either way, I don't care. It's very boring. We spend a lot of time on it. Yeah, I wrote a lot of unnecessary science that I frankly don't care to fact check. I thought maybe you would look it up. I, I looked was up some things that. later, but not the antimatter stuff. <laughs> okay. I, I thought about it and then decided not to. Yeah. But I did note they keep it inside little canisters that have magnets keeping it suspended. <laughs> um, and the descriptions of it are bad. <laughs> The object was not on the bottom of the container as he expected, but rather it was floating in the center, suspended in midair, a shimmering globule of mercury-like liquid. Hovering as if by magic, the liquid tumbled in space. Metallic wavelets rippled across the droplet's surface. The suspended fluid reminded Langdon of a video he'd seen once of a water droplet in zero-g. Although he knew the globule was microscopic, he could see every changing gorge and undulation as the ball of plasma slowly rolled in suspension. So in there we have... Uh, globule, liquid, liquid, droplet, fluid, droplet, and globule. <laughs> globule. Um, so I, ha- I have a science question, yep. Forrest. So humans have never seen antimatter in real life, or have we? I mean, there's definitely evidence of it existing, I sure, think. Sure, sure, but we've never, we don't know what it looks like. Not to my knowledge, no. <laughs> so 
so to Dan Brown, it looks like mercury? Well, Vittoria does say it's a liquid plasma containing millions of positrons, which I guess if it's suspended in magnetic fields might look like that. I'm picturing, uh, I've been watching shows on Hulu lately, and there's an ad with um, Jordan Peele and tilda swinton maybe and they're like in space it's an ad for lyft okay um and uh they have some water floating in front of them in like you do in space when you can just like take a straw and sip water out of a ball in space i'm picturing that okay before we get or is it after this i don't know um she tells she tells him it's not going to be at the bottom because because yeah she tells him like it's going to be suspended in, in midair because of the magnets and she she goes for a while about like how this is the case and now it can't touch anything and then um i think it's page 77 in my book he says it's floating the object was not on the bottom of the container as he expected but rather it was floating in the center which like you you doofus he's very Robert. dumb <laughs> Like, she just told you it wouldn't be at the bottom. Why would you expect it to be there? I think Dan Brown is trying really hard to hammer home to us the whole antimatter thing, which we learn and we get more later on with when antimatter comes into contact with normal matter, it produces a violent exothermic reaction called annihilation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think we're just really, really trying to make sure we understand that Mm. but also robert langdon's an idiot yeah no frankly an idiot um it says that it looks like a time bomb um probably because it is a time bomb yeah the whole plot construct around these canisters is that they come on these podiums that power the magnets that keep them the antimatter stable Uh but then if you take the canister off of the podium a 24-hour countdown begins and that's how much battery life the thing has before the magnets fail and you can only recharge them on these very specific special podiums they have in the vetro lab at cern right and uh there's there's a long explanation of why someone couldn't reverse engineer this charging mechanism um notes i wrote in my notes uh Love to list component parts of machinery to explain its sophistication. Yeah. She says, like, I mean, she doesn't say flux capacitor, but she, like, essentially lists a bunch of. Yeah, you have to know the specific energy grade of your locale. And I don't know what that means. I almost Googled it and then I decided it was going to either be above my head or not a thing. We're just getting to the point where it's just not worth it to. Because <laughs> they're not plot relevant. Like, when you do all this, like, science vomit, it's not relevant to the plot. And we don't need it, necessarily? I think that's right. And I think for that reason, probably we can skip through most of these chapters unless anything is particularly interesting to you. To me? uh, Yeah, no, you're right. So really quick. um, So she explains about antimatter. They observe an annihilation. It's very bright and exciting. Uh, They find out that there is... I mean, hopefully you're reading along, but if you're not, that's fine. (laughs) Um... So they find out that, or uh, Kohler, D- De Koenig, and us, because I think, I don't know, there's a lot of, like, audience surrogates in this uh, book. Yeah. Like, sometimes you're Robert Langdon, sometimes you're De Koenig, mm-hmm. you know. It turns out they have, like, a whole bunch of this antimatter just chilling in the basement. That's the part I actually liked. Um, we find out and we observe a small annihilation of a really little bit of antimatter, 
And then um, Vittoria mentions that she and her dad created a larger sample of a quarter of a gram or something, Mm -hmm. enough to power a city for a year or enough to blow up a city, for instance. And it's in the lower lab. You're using the lower lab, too, for storage. Kohler rolled toward her, coughing again. You're using the hazmat chamber for storage? Storage of what? (laughs) Hazardous material. What else? Vittoria was losing her patience. And that part is pretty good to me. (laughs) I did like it. I did like it. They go down there. She finds her dad's eye on the floor. She's obviously shaken by it because, oh, my God. That part's... It has another line I like um, just to support Dan Brown. He's doing good things. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Staring up at her from the floor, discarded like a piece of trash, was an eyeball. She would have recognized that shade of hazel anywhere. Yeah. I I see that. I mean, you're playing demon's advocate, and I see that. Something like that. (laughs) I, I did note that discarded like a piece of trash was a very stupid simile. Yes, <laughs> that's true. Because like, what else would you dis- you know like anything that is discarded? Is yeah, I'm trash? only I'm only here for the would have recognized <laughs> that shade of hazel anywhere. Yeah, the yeah. first part I don't care at all about. It was no, that, that was cute. So she's like shaken, and they find out that they someone stole the, the big the big canister of yes of antimatter. Um, and at the same time, we discover this. Um, we go a quick chapter back to whatever mysterious compound that the security forces have seen something in mm-hmm. and their camera has been moved and the suspense is maintained. We just know that's one of the world's most elite security forces. What's described as coming from the visual feed from the camera sounds suspiciously like the canister we've just seen, but we even get a bit of suspense there because next to the led on this device is an acronym. Four capital letters gleaming in the intermittent spurts of light. Which is dumb on one level because like we already know what it is. And it's dumb on another level because why did Vittoria and her dad bother to brand their secret device yeah. from a lab no one's supposed to be able to go into? There's like, okay, we should probably put the CERN logo on this just in case. Yeah, I had questions about that. Did they commission those canisters? Did they build them? The, like, did they had they to build them themselves. So they have like a an engraver and they chose to put CERN on it instead of some like obscure symbol that represents the, the convergence of God and science, which is something else that I'm sure Dan Brown would do if he had thought of it. Well, they printed it. <laughs> they didn't engrave it. Oh, it's printed? Yeah. Is Ever that, so faintly like, printed next to the LED. Isn't that harder? I don't know. Okay. I don't know much about fabrication of materials. Okay. I know a little bit about fabrication of materials. And I mean, if you have stickers and it's fine, what are you going to screen print? Uh, Okay, it's, Either it's way, whatever. it's dumb. And also, if I made a secret antimatter storage canister, I'd put my own name on it yeah. and not the name of my Property laboratory. Property of Vetrolab. But then my laboratory would not be able to be identified from the canister and then receive a call from some <laughs> mysterious security organization, which is going to happen shortly here. <laughs> um, I had something... Oh, she like gets upset about the the murders and stuff and she's going to call Interpol. And this is my favorite part in this portion of the book where she is frustrated that she doesn't have cell service underground. This woman, who is a scientist who lives in that lab, doesn't know that she doesn't have cell service underground. Yeah, there's a, there's a section here where Vittoria becomes immediately horrified that this essentially bomb has been stolen from her laboratory. And so she goes into a panic mode that she wasn't when just her dad was dead. Right. So she's got to get out and call the police. 
Um, first, she's upset that Robert Langdon is not, in fact, a cop and is an art historian. Dan Brown misuses the word whom. Dan Brown, oh, erstwhile English teacher. <laughs> yeah. She also has lived in a submarine and doesn't know about cell service. This, this, I really... <laughs> Like, this self-service thing is a thorn in my side. Like, it's... I hate it. She's not... How could she be that stupid? How could she be that stupid? She's very stressed. <laughs> she hasn't got a chance to do any calming yoga. Yeah, I guess not. She she will later. Um, also, Interpol? Why does she keep insisting on calling Interpol? Like, as far as well, I know... Well, they're the Europe police. <laughs> I think is how that works. Like, I understand thinking that, that Robert Langdon is Interpol because he's American. And, like, why else would he be there? You well, know? she thinks he's from American intelligence, not from Interpol. Oh, no? Yeah. Um, Do they only have Interpol in Switzerland because they're neutral? Is that... <laughs> maybe. I don't know why she's so obsessed with Interpol. I think it's just that it's terrorist terrorism and maybe... Mm. Or presumably terrorism and that probably whatever security mall cops they have at CERN aren't equipped to deal with it or in switzerland i don't know switzerland is maybe a fantasy country i don't know what happens there i don't know either my point being i think dan brown heard of interpol and uh thought international police sounded cool and then didn't look into it he's right yeah we get some more information about the illuminati uh, where robert langdon is slowly coming to terms with the idea that maybe this crime is the work of the illuminati and Mm -hmm. not just someone pretending and so he decides that maybe they're trying to uh steal this antimatter for their own financial gain because the illuminati is sometimes code for uh conspiracy jewish people (laughs) the illuminati had always wielded tremendous power through financial means they controlled banks they owned gold bullion and they were even rumored to possess the single most valuable gem on earth the illuminati diamond how did I skip over the Illuminati? I did a lot of skipping. It yeah. was like the fifth Harry That's, Potter book. Th- that section is leading up to where we learn about how you can't reverse engineer the battery podium. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because that supposedly cancels out the idea that it could be for financial gain because they can't possibly know how to build a battery podium. But they also couldn't possibly know that there was this antimatter hidden in a lab below ground and they'd have to steal Leonardo Vetra's eye to get at it. Or that there was a second larger specimen even further underground they would need his eye again for. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying if an organization already knows all of those things, they might also have had the foresight to build themselves a battery podium so when they stole the thing they knew was there, they could use it for financial means. Yeah, I mean, they've planned murder and like espionage and all these other things. Yeah, they have like a lot of... Clearly a lot of planning behind this. A lot of resources. Um, what chapter are you on now? Almost 27? Uh, we're like the end of 27 going into 28. Okay. Uh, just a real quick side note. The Hassa scene uh, comes back. We yes. see him very briefly. He's in the robe still and will soon enter a door. And that's it. That's all that happens there. Um, well, he does get to open the door. He gets to open a door. Yeah, that's been unlocked for him. It's a door into somewhere exciting. But we don't know where it is yet. Yeah, we'll... And I think that's the last time we see the Hassa scene in this section? It is. Okay. He does not make much of an impression this time around. <laughs> Where are we? This is... Oh, he's uh, stopped translating. Did you notice that? Yeah, I did. I was, I was, I was rereading this section before you came this morning. Uh-huh. Because um, I hadn't read it for a while. And there's almost none of the translating this time through. And it 
reads a lot better for it. It really does. He just says like she uh Vittoria says basta di parlare and I'm like Oh, that line I do have a quibble with though. Oh, do you? Okay, but I didn't know anything about it. And so I was like, sure, that probably means like shut up and that's fine. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, it does literally mean stop talking. Mm-hmm. But I know in English there's like a maybe archaic now, but like for a while you'd hear basta and it just means enough or shut up. Mm-hmm. In English? And I mean, it's from Italian, but yeah, okay. it's like idiomatic English from immigrants and whatnot. Sure. Um, and I, it just, it feels overly formal. Oh, to say basta di parlare? Yeah. Okay. I don't know if that's true, though, but in Googling it, when I just put quotes, basta, or even just basta parlare, uh-huh. is seems to be more common than basta di parlare. Yeah. But he hasn't translated like it for Translate. us, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all I ha- oh, there, there's a Steve Jackson computer games portion. Is yeah. Here. Um, I've got stuff to say about the Steve Jackson computer games Yeah, stuff. please. And then I have some things to say about it, too. Okay. Go ahead. So the reason that Vittoria has heard of the Illuminati at all, which surprises Langdon, is that a group of her buddies at CERN play this game ostensibly called Bavarian Illuminati New World Order by Steve Jackson computer games, which is a problem for a couple of reasons. <laughs> The game itself is not called Bavarian Illuminati New World Order. I think it's just called Illuminati New World Order. It's not a computer game. It's a card game. It is by Steve Jackson, who I think today I had only heard of him from the Munchkin game, game games. Mm -hmm. There's at least one. And so, yeah, it, A, confuses me why on earth you would ever know the publisher of a game that your friends but not you play. Yeah. And then Langdon's heard of it for some reason, and calls it semi-historical. It is not semi-historical. <laughs> um, just more on the on the knowing the name of, of a game publisher. Now, I'm currently dating a, a game publisher, um, and no one no one knows. You know, like, unless you're, like, you're like hardcore. Unless you're in the right? field. Like, if, you're, if, you're, if you're in the field, like, yeah, or like, obviously or David you're... would know, like, who Steve Jackson was, but I didn't. Um, but, like... I, prior to meeting David, had friends who, like, played Call of Duty and things. And, like, how am I supposed to know who publishes that? Like, now I know, like, Blizzard is a publishing company, you know? But, like, no. What? Like, if I didn't play, like, why would I know that? So in our next chapter, uh, Der Koenig's secretary is worried because she's gotten a call from somebody very important Mm -hmm. that, to maintain suspense, we still don't find out who it is. I just hate and so she has to use the CERN-wide intercom system in order to call her boss and tell him to get to his office because she's not been able to get in touch with him. And that's a chapter worth a full two pages. Did you have anything to say about the Sylvie chapter? Yeah, I did. Um, so so I, think, I think I talked about this in the last podcast, but um, you can't do third-person omnipresence and then also withhold information. Yeah. It's so deeply upsetting because, you know, <laughs> like, like to be like, we're inside of Robert Langdon's head and we hear everything he thinks, except for we can't know about why he's claustrophobic. Yeah. Like, or, or this, or... He's not available, Sylvie had said. Then the CERN operator told her who was calling. She half laughed aloud. You're kidding, right? She listened and her face clouded with disbelief. And your caller ID confirms? She was frowning. Okay, I, c- can you ask what the... No, that's fine. Tell him to hold. So it's just... 
It's just cinematic. It's like if we had a camera in the room watching Sylvie and we were not allowed to know what was going on with her, um, which is, you know, either write a screenplay or write a book. Don't don't do both. Don't do, yeah. Um, little, little bright note. Dan Brown does include the word pisse. Yes. <laughs> because Sylvie Baudeloc is very French <laughs> and and her boss is sometimes pisse and it makes me very happy because my mom used to say that kind of thing about relatives anyway <laughs> yeah i don't i don't think we're gonna see her again for the rest of the book yeah her one characterization is she uses a french word and then doesn't understand how um someone important is calling but you know she she's resourceful she knows how to get to her boss it's and true i don't think you get to be the secretary of the director of cern without being like a very good secretary you know yeah although she like is very frightened about uh going to the intercom well this might be Oh, yeah, because you're not supposed to, I guess. But, I mean, to be fair, she's French and probably Catholic. And so to have the... Spoiler (laughs) alert, it's the Vatican calling. Um, To have the Vatican Mm. call is a big deal. That's true. For her. Maybe not for Deconic, because he doesn't, you know, believe (laughs) in He hates God. He hates... (laughs) Yeah. The next chapter takes place entirely in an elevator. It does, doesn't (laughs) it? Um, oh, there's there's a little flashback to her playing with her dad. It's, it's cute. It's sweet again. It's sweet again. He reverse psychologies her. Yes, he does. Um, but she said, "Ask Papa, ask me what's the matter. And he says, why would I ask you what's the matter? And she says, she says, just ask me. And he says, what's the matter? What's the matter? Everything is the matter. Rocks, trees, ad- you know, like the matter joke. I did look this up. Good. Because okay. <laughs> I was... I couldn't find a good way to search if... Uh, matter works that way in italian yeah but i did my best in that i went i did sort of my best in that i went to google translate and i typed in uh english to italian typed in matter found the one that was like material uh stuff Uh which is something like materio and then looked up idiomatic what's the matter and it has does not have that word anywhere it's just like Mm. que fuera or something so my me playing demon's advocate mm-hmm. was um, maybe they're speaking in English since English is the language of science. It's possible. Although she's a child and they haven't moved yet. Yeah. Oh, no, like no. She, she was she was in, in Switzerland at this point. But like she's too young. Or she like is at a point in her life where she doesn't want to do any math whatsoever. So presumably she's still early in her scientific education. Mm, and, and I have to imagine that basic math came before English. Yeah. But who knows? It is still a cute scene. It's a cute scene. scene. He like reverse uh, psychologies her into studying math. And it's, yeah. it's really sweet. And it made me sad that he died. <laughs> yeah. And then it just gets undercut immediately because Vittoria opens her eyes after remembering this thing. And uh, she looks to Ang- Langdon and the earnest concern in his <laughs> gaze felt like the warmth of a guardian angel. I'm so glad you pointed this out. Because um, in my notes, I just have guardian angel Bobby Lang. Gross. Gross, 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 gross. I have... Well, because also he's presumably dealing with his claustrophobia in this moment. On the elevator ride down, he was he was like freaking out. out. And so the elevator ride up, I'm wondering if maybe he's not looking at her with earnest concern, but just like actually concern. in his own head and scared out of his mind. And she's just projecting things onto him. Because now her father's not there to be concerned about her anymore. Mm. Now it's it's even worse. Now it's even creepier. (laughs) It's pretty bad. (laughs) 
<laughs> that one is my own invention, but still. <laughs> so um, the yeah. next chapter, they take this phone call and we find out um, secondhand again. So Kohler's taking the phone call and essentially just is surprised at who's calling and then says he'll meet them at the Leonardo da Vinci airport. And that's enough to clue Robert Langdon in as to who this is finally. It's from Vatican City. It's from Rome. It's from the Swiss Guard, the sworn sentinels of Vatican City. And it turns out Kohler can't go because uh, he's sick. The excitement of the morning in conjunction with his disabilities and illness has made him unable to go. Yeah. Earlier in the lab, I think he probably exacerbated that. There's a part where he stands up out of his wheelchair and kind of collapses. Yeah. So I think he's just... Also, he's supposed to receive a shot like every two hours or something. Yeah. Which he does not because he's underground and no one can find him. Um, they get back onto the space plane with the Garth Brooks pilot. I don't think he's playing Garth Brooks this time, though. Which is, is he a not? Bummer. It doesn't say. Oh, hold, no. At the end, I think it does. Give oh. me just a moment. He says, like, it's just going to be me and Garth or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just me and Garth right there. Okay. It's at the in the beginning of 32. Yeah, that's he says, true. I'll be in the co- cockpit with the air conditioning and my music. Just me and Garth. But what chapter 31 has some good stuff in it. It does. We'll it go also back. has some very boring stuff in it. My very first thing is that Langdon wants to go back to Boston, and I refuse to believe that a through-and-through Harvard guy like Robert Langdon would ever not call it Cambridge. <laughs> I am with you there. Yeah, everyone I know who's been to Harvard doesn't say Boston. We get a pretty good little view at Robert Langdon as a character in a way that we don't often get mm-hmm. in his interiority, which is as he's worried about vatican city being blown up by antimatter um kind of against his instinct he's ashamed to admit it that his initial horror isn't the danger to human life but it's just the loss of all the art there and like i get that like it's that's like a human thing that some people are feel yeah like what was happening like during the initial waves of reporting on isis and like palmyra there was all these internet comments of horrible people who were like, well, you know, the human stuff is sad, but all the history being lost. Yeah. And like the history lost being does suck. It does. But there is also an impulse in some people who are at a certain academic remove from places or in some cases just like a humanitarian lack of empathy mm-hmm. or anti-humanitarian lack of empathy. Both of those kinds of things can produce this reaction where you're more concerned about the material than the people. And so that's like an actual insight into Robert Langdon's character of a kind that we don't get very often. I think I think you may be reading more into <laughs> character development than Dan Brown ever intended. It's possible. But I think you're right. I think it, it betrays a kind of uh, ivory tower coldness, you know? Yeah, and I think, I think Dan Brown is a little aware of it being a character thing because it does say he's ashamed to admit it. Yeah. Which seems to indicate that like at least Dan Brown and by extension Robert Langdon are aware that this is not a humane thing to be thinking. Yeah. There's a Oh, she does some yoga. She does some yoga. And suddenly she's uh she does some some uh yoga breathing. Uh as if a spark of self-preservation had ignited within her a craving for justice and retribution fueled by a daughter's love, which is what I want on my tombstone personally. And um, as with every time we get a description of Vittoria's emotional state, it is immediately followed by a description <laughs> of her physical uh, form. She's in shorts, which will be something that I grow to hate over the course <laughs> of the rest of this section. Um, and we get to know about her tawny legs, which are now goosebumped, which 
tawny tawny legs it's not great Ta- okay langdon um, gives her his jacket she says chivalry american chivalry <laughs> right um i had something to say here and i don't remember what it was so Blamed against claustrophobic in the plane again. Oh, yeah. Have windows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my notes say some more of that dope foreshadowing about Batman. Okay, I'm going to save this for later because it, it we, there's a lot to get to in this chapter for, for whatever reason. Um, there's a whole... They get... They go from him offering her his coat to a discussion of whether each of them believes in God. Right. And first, Langdon has a real narcissistic thing where he believes all of his friends like really think about his interior religious life <laughs> a spiritual conundrum yes thought. that's what my friends call me <laughs> yeah 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 Sp- Langdon's friends quote friends unquote also this is my notes not the thing yeah. uh also call him a spiritual conundrum in addition to a man caught between decades and quote erudite appeal and a bachelor for life or whatever yeah um and then i also noted as a sub note this is the most tortured show don't tell in the universe. Because um, you are just telling. But instead of saying Robert Langdon is a spiritual conundrum, you said, my friends call me a spiritual <laughs> conundrum, which is stupid. It's stupid. This is a point in the reading of the section where I started to get upset. I started to get angry about, we're, we're at, what, 31? Yeah. yeah. Chapter 31 is where I lost it. And you can see in my notes because the curses fly. <laughs> and, and my notes, instead of just being like this long are like paragraphs of how angry I am. Um, you're going to, yeah, let's, let's get into it, I guess. Robert Langdon's Fox Mulder, he wants to believe, but maybe isn't quite able to. Mm-hmm. And then Vittoria, when he says that he doesn't believe in any of the scriptures that outline any given faith, Vittoria is dodging the question and says, oh, I didn't believe you asked about what man said about God. I asked if you believe in God. And I think it finally comes out to, he's still sort of on the fence and she has a kind of vaguely Gnostic sense of, I will never understand. That's not Gnostic. I shouldn't have said that. It's not what Gnosticism is. Okay. But she has a sort of mystical thing of, I will never understand God. And my heart tells me I'm not meant to. Okay. And it cuts off with, uh, Vittoria saying that God's a her. Your Native Americans had it right, which is a weird thing to say. It's your Native? Why would you tell like a white Harvard professor your Native Americans? Also oh. had. Oh, God. They're, we still have them. Yeah, we, <laughs> they, they still have beliefs. Langdon explains to us what a Mobius strip is, which made me feel so stupid. It was very irritating. It, yeah. Um, I, also, whose first experience with a Mobius strip is M.C. Escher? It's like being a kid and having a strip of paper and being like, oh. You do it in like Damn. in like first grade. You're like, look, it's one, one side. You're like, yeah. what? That's crazy. Um, Robert has problems with his age again. Um, and she's, they're flirting. And they're, they're flirting a lot. <laughs> they talk about they're, they're chuckling and talking about Mother Earth and Gaia and the pyramids and the, the dollar and, and everything. And that page I have covered up with one note and highlighter that just says boring in all caps yeah uh so for me it was less boring and more enraging and i'll tell you why okay i'm gonna start with this paragraph that i've already written and then maybe expound if i feel like i haven't made my point it says here 
I really hate that she's grieving, but is ready for witty banter and flirting. Women in Dan Brown books are only emotional when they need to be vulnerable for Bobby Lang to swoop in to save them and otherwise are fully emotionally and intellectually available for consumption by Bobby Lang so that he can be bewitched by them. And this happens in every book. He meets a woman, she undergoes an incredible tragedy, and he's she's sad enough for him to like offer a jacket and be compassionate and then immediately she's like opened up and like funny and interesting and like ready to like just seduce him and then she you know and she'll be like emotional again at some point when it really matters like oh like we're close to solving the mystery but she's so sad you know and it it kills me it kills me that these women aren't allowed to grieve authentically it kills me that they have to be I don't know, like their their entire experience is, is purely for the consumption of, of Robert Langdon. They're emotional for him, and then they're strong and cute and sexy for him, and then they're emotional, you know? I think the reason I didn't pick up on that as much is A, just like the fact that it does totally drop away that she's just undergone a tragedy. Yeah. And then also that in my mind, all this banter is less like flirty, cute banter than it is just trivia dumping banter (laughs) but i think you are absolutely right and there definitely is some flirting stuff she's definitely even if they're not flirting she's witty and challenging him and asking Mm -hmm. questions whereas like she just lost her dad and her research why wouldn't she be like wrapped up in a blanket sobbing her eyes out or like binge drinking you know (laughs) yeah i think that's fair Going on from that, we some of the trivia banter is straight up wrong. Yeah, um, I want to let you get to that okay. really quick because I'm I'm interested to hear that, and I don't want to interrupt it later. Um, he forgets that he was talking to a scientist at mm. some point. At some point, he says, "Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot that I was talking to a scientist." Which fuck you? <laughs> How dare you? Yeah, I, I'm sure we'll. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, he he says. Uh, do you know that like basically triangles are the Greek letter delta, which is Greek for and, or is the symbol for? Oh, I missed. And that. she's like change transition because I'm a scientist and I went to school for this. You giant doofus! Why would you think that was news for anyone? I'm not like I studied <laughs> political science and I know that because I took chemistry in high school. Like, how dare you explain that to someone? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a thing people know. Uh, this is in the context of discussing the Illuminati symbols on the American dollar bill. Is this trivia fact check time? Yeah. Yes. So on the back of the dollar bill, there is both the reverse and the obverse of the great seal of the United States. And the reverse side is the one that we're talking about here, which has the pyramid and the eye, and it has a Latin motto at the top, which I forget, which we're not talking about, and one at the bottom, which says Novus Ordo Seclorum which Robert Langdon translates as new secular order, which it turns out is not true. Oh, okay. It means a new order for the ages. Mm-hmm. He furthermore credits that motto on it to Vice President Henry Wallace, who uh, was apparently the vice president for FDR. Uh-huh. And FDR approved it because Wallace told him that Novus Ordo Seclorum meant New Deal. And that appealed to Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. The design of the Great Seal, including the Novus Ordo Seclorum part, is from like 1780 something. And the guy who put it on there was a Latin teacher. And it's a <laughs> uh, paraphrase of a line from the Aeneid. 
and it just means for the new age. Yeah, so or then, a new order for the ages. In my notes, I wrote, "Did one twelve to one thirteen happen?" It's, uh, uh, I'm sure Forrest will research, <laughs> but I'm very skeptical that VP Wallace told FDR that NOS meant New Deal, and he bought it. People used to know Latin. Also, <laughs> if if FDR was a, a Mason, then why would he have to lie? Why couldn't you just say it means New World Order? I think at some point the book makes a distinction that the Masons are like the unwitting puppets of the Illuminati. Because there's a thing where he's sort of saying that all this things, all these things were put in there by the Masons that are actually Illuminati symbols, but uh, the Masons were sort of un- unwitting. And he didn't, so he didn't have to check Wallace because he trusted him because they mm-hmm. were brothers. I mean, fine, <laughs> it's, it's whatever. Um, we reconvene with our hero, the Garth pilot, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, there's a bit here where Vittoria leaves the plane and turns upward toward the sun and Langdon says, Mediterraneans. <laughs> and I wrote in my notes, oh, ho, ho, Mediterraneans. Uh, but then my sub note was, but he's right. I also seek the Mediterranean sun to replenish my energy reserves. Uh, so I can't be too mad. because She like literally uses it to replenish energy, though. She turned her face skyward and inhaled deeply as if the sun's rays somehow transferred, transferred to her some mystical replenishing energy. Yeah, and as a Mediterranean... Uh, I agree. <laughs> I have done that. <laughs> and this transitions into her talking about the other primary Robert Langdon character thing. She does it at a weird time. Her eyes are closed and she says he's a little old for cartoons, which confuses him, rightly so, because her eyes are closed. But she's talking about his wristwatch, which is one of those Mickey Mouse ones where his hands point at the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's my favorite thing about Robert Langdon is his Mickey Mouse watch. So and, I just and didn't how wanna... young at heart it keeps him. Yeah. Yeah. It's good for um, swimming laps because it's waterproof or walking unlit college paths at night. A Does thing it... that Robert oh, Langdon likes to do. It glows in the dark. <laughs> yeah. You know how when you're walking paths at night, you're like, oh, good thing my watch is glow in the dark. Otherwise, I wouldn't <laughs> know what time it was. <laughs> uh, he refers to the Nazca lines as sand drawings, which is maybe not quite accurate, but it's close enough. Mm-hmm. And... Either way, it doesn't need to be there. But basically, he's talking about being confused about... He doesn't like helicopters. And he's surprised that the Vatican has, quote, one of those, meaning a helicopter, which seems very dumb to me. I assume the Vatican (laughs) has, like, a literal fleet of helicopters. Yeah. I wrote, there's too much about Bobby Lang's age, too much. Oh, yes. Um, I also wrote, uh, again, San Andreas levels of vehicle hopping, which is very exciting. For me, because I love when people do that in action movies. So, so far, he's been in his car, uh, the, the, space the space plane, the sedan, mm-hmm. and then... An elevator. An elevator. <laughs> Twice. I don't know how he got... I guess he just got on the space plane. I think, they, I think they probably took the car back to the space plane. Okay. So, car again, space plane. Space plane to helicopter. To helicopter, and then to golf cart. Yeah. Later. We haven't gotten there yet. No. Before the golf cart, we get Vittoria being suspicious of being flown by a man in a swiss guard uniform Mm -hmm. which are uh if you've seen them to be fair sort of ridiculous they're (laughs) They're tri-colored yellow red and blue although the everyday uniform of the swiss guard it turns out is similarly medieval looking but it's actually just blue Mm -hmm. and looks kind of cool i must say but we're gonna find out there's maybe a reason why they'd be wearing the ceremonial ones today a reason that robert langdon should know about (laughs) 
Robert Langdon's explaining to her why they're wearing such silly clothes. Okay. And he says it's a traditional Swiss guard uniform designed by Michelangelo himself, mm-hmm. which is false. <laughs> Uh, those uniforms were adopted in the early 20th century, and the closest you can get to saying Michelangelo designed them is that they were inspired by... Sorry, it's 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 Michelangelo. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, well, I was talking about the Ninja Turtle. <laughs> the closest you can get to saying that Michael, or indeed Michelangelo, designed them is that they were inspired by some paintings that Raphael... Is it Raphael? <laughs> It's not. It's inspired by some paintings that Raphael did of Landschnecht, which were Swiss mercenaries of around his time. But Michelangelo never actually painted the Swiss Guard uniforms. Um, Then he also has the requirements to be in the Swiss Guard wrong. Uh, He talks about how the application process is extremely stringent. Mm-hmm. And that applicants must be Swiss males between 19 and 30 years old, at least five feet, six inches, trained by the Swiss army and unmarried. And I saw the five foot six thing and I was like, that's not that much of a requirement. I was going to say not very stringent now, is it? <laughs> but So it turns out the actual one isn't that much more stringent. They got to be five foot eight and a half. Okay. Which is still about average height for Swiss males. But five foot six. I could be a. I could be a Swiss if I were a male. Yeah, and I'm, Swiss. And Swiss. <laughs> also, uh, like a Christian, right? You have to be Catholic. Also, I think you have to be Catholic, but the book doesn't actually say that. It says that they get these Swiss guards from the different uh, Catholic, yeah, uh, I cantons, don't know, clubhouses. I don't. I don't know what the word I is. I think cantons. I think they're like cantons. Districts. Okay. But yeah, that's what we learned about Swiss guards. Then they pat down Vittoria, and she says no. And it's fine. <laughs> and the guard doesn't like immediately arrest her, <laughs> which is bananas. I mean, the far more, the, the far worse thing than her not being patted down is that she's wearing short pants short into pants. Vatican City. And and we will be reminded many times that she's wearing short pants. It's the worst thing. It's the worst. It's so annoying. We also all get an opportunity to ogle her yep. um, because the guard carefully studied her. Langdon had already decided that... <laughs> Thank you, Langdon. <laughs> that Victoria's form-fitting shorts and blouse were not bulging anywhere they shouldn't have been. Apparently, the guard came to the same conclusion. Um, yeah, so we get to ogle her and, and know about how form-fitting her shorts and blouse, which honestly, in my head, were not that form-fitting. Um, but now I know that they are uh, Lara Croft-esque. Yeah, well, she was on a boat before this, studying jellyfish. So, so she should wear so skin tight clothing. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what I do when I'm on a boat. Uh, <laughs> did this read as weird to you? So the guards patting Langdon down. Uh huh. Um, weapons. Langdon thought, "I'm not even carrying a change of underwear." <laughs> like unless you're coming somewhere with a suitcase, unless I'm going somewhere like specifically packed to travel. Yeah, you wouldn't be carrying a change of underwear. I wouldn't. Like I. Yeah. Who does? Yeah, you could easily not be packed to travel because you went on a space plane and have and like you're an American, so you. you have a gun on you. Yeah, <laughs> right. I don't. He, they didn't check his passport. No one has checked him until now. No. He went into certain. Could have easily had a pistol on him. You yeah. Know? Um. Yeah. No, it's stupid. I didn't like it. It's, what what it's, else can I say? It's pretty bad. They fly over Rome and into the Vatican. Uh, I want to do a count of how many times I use the word vacuum. Oh, go for it. Um. I'm not going to. I'd have oh. to do it for, of the whole book. <laughs> oh, it's a lot. It's it's so much, and it's not always with relation in relation to um, the antimatter. Often it's just to describe empty space. Yes, which I get, but just don't. Well, that's thematic. 
Yeah, the the my my big takeaway from chapter thirty three is the second half of it as they're finishing their flyover of the Vatican mm-hmm. is they're seeing all these news trucks, and they ask the pilot why all the news trucks are here, and it's because the conclave is happening because the Pope just died recently, mm-hmm. and Robert Langdon is a professor of religious art specializing in like especially the renaissance and the illuminati who are in like direct direct contact with with the catholic church so presumably and he's been to rome a bunch so he has to you'd think he'd be like up on church stuff yeah and then vittoria's dad is a catholic priest (laughs) the kind of person who would say like oh my god the pope is dead and like when the pope dies you hear about it yeah you would also know what a conclave was yeah i I would think especially especially on langdon's side i don't know if like your average catholic would know about the conclave i think so when it's happening maybe yeah i mean nothing what's happening like i mean it's on like national news all the time because it's a good story to run because it's like suspenseful and the end of every day or whatever you get smoke coming out of a thing and it's very easy to put your news cameras up in saint peter's square and be like oh look at this cool place where this cool thing's happening (laughs) it's been happening for like a thousand or more years yeah but it does raise the stakes of the antimatter bomb right because now not only are the people and the art going to be killed but also the entire clergy mm-hmm. um so we're going to close out that chapter it is so long and i think i skipped most of it like not <laughs> not on purpose just like my brain was like let's not retain any of this it's, um, it's boring cardinal mortati gazed up at the lavish ceiling of the sistine chapel so now we're inside the conclave and i just wanted to say that i really like the name mortati it's pretty good i think it's cool and it makes you think about death. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So Mochati is, is overseeing the conclave. And we're taught that it means with key, which it does. Conclave. Yeah. <laughs> conclave. Because uh, it's under lock and key. And they thought it was going to be like a chill conclave, you know, because like they basically, you know, they, they, they were hospitable to, toward one another. But the four main dudes who were going to maybe be Pope are missing. The preferiti? <laughs> the preferiti are missing. Um, and, you know, there's a long thing about how pretty it is inside the chapel. Do you want to go into this? I, um, I, I want to talk it. about one thing in this. In okay. your copy of the book, do you see the paragraph outside the walls of the chapel, of course? That's, yeah. Uh huh. The sentence before that, what does that say for you? Solum dum pre oculus. Doom, D U M? Yeah. Yeah. This would ensure the cardinals kept solum dum prae oculus, only God before their eyes. Uh-huh. That should be deum. Okay. It should not be doom. Is there that, any world in which it's doom? It means something very different. It doesn't, like, deum is the operative God in that. Like, uh-huh. the thing you're keeping before your eyes is God, deum. Uh-huh. Um, solum doom means something different and is, like, not a saying. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, they descend... Uh, they talk about her resolve, uh, Victoria's resolve, and then we talk about uh, every muscle in her body seemed tuned to one objective, finding the antimatter before it left a horrific legacy. And I just want to say, we can talk about her resolve without talking about her body. Nope, we can we cannot. <laughs> the pilot takes a few minutes to stretch a reflective sun tarp across the cockpit window, which seems crazy to me. There's no time. <laughs> Um, I'm going to skip over most of this. There, there's, it's, that's, that's the yeah, right choice. There's, there's signs that talk about like all the places you can go. Um, the guard says, God only knows. 
the words sound sounded oddly literal, which hold up. It's he's a, the guard is a devout Catholic. To this guard, those words are literal. God yeah. only knows. God is the only. And I hate this stupid book. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, this is where they get on the golf cart, though. So this is their next vehicle is the oversized golf cart. Yes, very exciting. Oh, there's a weird thing where the Vatican guard are wearing their uniforms and they're wielding traditional quote Vatican long swords. Oh, I. I... I'm very which excited. are eight foot spears with the razor sharp scythe, which I think are just halberds. But anyways, and they're quote rumored to have decapitated countless Muslims while defending the Christian Crusaders in the 15th century. Which, a I could find nothing about the Swiss Guard in any way being involved with the Crusades. Like they started guarding the French court in the late 15th century and the Italians and probably the Pope in the early 16th But it's not the Swiss Guard. Century. It's just the sword that we're talking about. Yeah, but it's the Vatican longsword. Yeah, but, you know. And either, e- either way, the Christian Crusades in the 15th century were like some piddly little expeditions to the Balkans. Like the Crusades that we think of when we think of Crusades are all like late 11th and 12th century things. Yeah. Um, I had a note here, and it begins with hold up. Um, <laughs> killing Muslims. So it says, it says, it says, uh, rumored to have decapitated countless Muslims while defending the defending yep. the Christian crusaders in the 15th century. Yeah, to which important. I would like to reply, how can you invade and still claim to be playing defense? I think, so I thought about <laughs> this too. And there's, I think what's happening is that while defending the Christian crusaders, I think just means the sword is being used in their defense in a particular fight. Cause they're not saying the guard is defending the crusaders. Okay. I think it's saying the weapon is defending them, which like in the actual sense of a fight is true. They were not playing defense in that they were going into lands that were not theirs and killing people. And then also the other thing about the crusades in the 15th century, as opposed to some of the earlier crusades, mm-hmm. most of them at that point were just like against heretical ostensibly christian sects and not actually muslims mm-hmm. all right the guards get pissed off about vittoria shorts again yeah e pantaloni he said motioning to vittoria shorts <laughs> we go to the swiss, we go to the swiss guard yeah um they meet a man who oh there's like a whole side note about the great castration where yeah one which, of the popes removed all the penises off but of like the, the way he says it is also wrong like so that, <laughs> sure that, that policy was instituted several hundred years earlier apparently Pius the ninth in 1857 like did finish the job and like go through and do the remaining ones mm-hmm. the fig leaves were a thing before that and they'd been like steadily getting all the statues depenisified for a while or <laughs> just castrated i don't think so <laughs> uh they go to the swiss guard they meet a very stern uh head of commander olivetti another great name he's very I imagined him being very thin, but I think I just imagined that. No, he, yeah, he's exceptionally tall and wiry. Wiry, like, wiry. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, he's thin and he's very stern and he thinks, and I think reasonably, that his number one security concern is the conclave because because no one's ever heard of antimatter before. Well, that and like, so we, we get in the office and there's a big search underway mm-hmm. and Langdon assumes it's for the antimatter. He's like, oh, thank God. And he's like, no, I'm not searching for that. And he's like, but you're searching for something. And mm-hmm. we don't find out what you're searching for yet. Like, we, I think we can piece together that since those cardinals aren't there, that's what he's searching for. Yeah. But the book doesn't tell us that. Mm-hmm. And Olivetti is rightly just like, why should I search for this thing when 
nobody will tell me what it is. I just got a call from the certain guy. He said, find it and I'll send some people over. Like I have more important shit to deal with than a clock with a little (laughs) ball inside of it. Also like all of his experience has been ballistics are, are this way and metal is this way and they behave this way in our security system. So like how could this have gotten in, which is reasonable. Mm -hmm. Although he, he does tend to be a little close minded and misogynistic towards Vittoria when she tries to explain to him, yo, I'm a certain scientist and I know my shit and he's like but you're wearing shorts um which realistic we learned that the thing will explode at midnight which is great because langdon says a flare for the dramatic which is extra great that is just the Hassassin's whole deal he's is a, a flare for the dramatic he's just a messy messy person so they haven't started looking for the thing they're all, everyone's annoyed with Vittoria and uh, Robert Langdon for being there and bothering Commander Olivetti. Olivetti traps them in his office, uh, where Vittoria makes a phone call to the head of to the who to the to the operator. Well, yeah. So first, she assumes that his speed dial when she dials one will be to the Pope's office because uh, they're trying. Langdon, in an effort to prove he's super smart and also to do an end run around Olivetti's ignoring ignoring of them, is he wants to get in touch with the Camerlengo, who's the Pope's Chamberlain, who apparently in between Popes has sole authority that the Pope has, which is probably not true. Um, we didn't check. I mean, I sort of checked, but I didn't have enough time to fully check. Sure. Uh, he does get some responsibilities, but I don't think he like becomes interim Pope or whatever, which is sort of what the book implies. Anyways. Um, so Langdon tries to call him and the guy says, Nope, you can't talk to him. He's busy. He's getting ready for conclave stuff as is his job. And Langdon's like, Arr. and then they get locked in Olivetti's office mm-hmm. and Olivetti goes off to do important things. And then Robert's like, ah, uh, shit. And then Victoria's like, Oh, I'm going to use this Buddhist trick where I remember the answer to a problem instead oh. <laughs> of fi- figuring it out. And so she decides that she's going to use Olivetti's phone to call the Pope's office where the camera lingo is. Just a real quick thing. Uh, the rem- remembrance trick doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> she's like, I'm going to try the remembrance trick. That didn't work. <laughs> and, and I'm like, if it doesn't work, then why include it? Um, blah, 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 blah. Phone call. Phone After, call. When yeah. when they failed to make the phone call the first time because speed dial one is the commissary with the weekly menu, which is funny to me. We then get a chapter inside the Vatican switchboard room. Wait, 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 wait. Um, yep. There's a point, sorry, where she... Hold on. Langdon had fallen silent and Vittoria hoped he was using that Harvard Harvard brain of his <laughs> to think them out of this. Yeah. She's a physicist at CERN. At CERN. Why would you wait for a Harvard brain to do anything? I think at some point it does also call her smart, to be fair. Um, I forget where. I mean, actions, though. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The analytical mind of Vittoria Vetra, once calmed, was a powerful force. Within seconds, she realized their incarceration was actually the key to their okay, but, escape. But what? why would her instinct, her first instinct, be like, I wonder if that guy over there is going to fix this? She is a woman. She is a woman. Um, I had something else to say about about this, but I think I'll just end up talking for a long time about how much I hate Yeah, we are reaching character. the end of this. In yeah. the switchboard section, there's a 
strange part where we learned that it contains an eight-line Corelco 141 switchboard, mm-hmm. which I think means that does that does the operators do you know if the operator's switchboard limits the number of lines total in the place? Like, can there only be eight phone calls happening at one time in the Vatican, or it just means that through the operator only eight phone calls can be simultaneously dealt I, with? I I am not I am not. God damn it. I don't know anything about switchboards. Okay. I think maybe the latter, but I don't know. We didn't do any switchboard research. Reasonable. No. Uh, the operator's sad that all of the news organizations are sending like second stringers to cover the conclave, which mm-hmm. like I remember the last two conclaves and it seemed like they were both like big deals where news people were not putting it on page like A14 or whatever, especially not like the most recent one where the guy resigned, but like even after John Paul II died, which is the analogy we're making to this one, mm-hmm. because he's like a popular pope who everyone liked. Yeah, Forest reads newspapers. Everyone. <laughs> well, no, this is just like <laughs> this is this is just like cable news and stuff had all sorts of conclave yeah. stuff. But now it's just uh, uh, the vans look to be mostly standard Italian and Euro press. Only a handful of global global coverall networks were there, no doubt having sent their giornalisti secondari. <laughs> And they don't translate it. He does pretty well in yeah. this section of the book at not translating everything. On page 142, he does translate. Sorry, at the very end of uh, chapter 38. Okay. Because I have a different version. Um, oh, yeah. He does translate because uh, Olivetti says, Ciccoglioni uh, Ciacchesta. He thought, the ball's on this one. That one was helpful to me. <laughs> I needed that. Because like, that's what I think you should be doing the whole way through with his translations is like where you don't need one or like where it's pretty close. Yeah, just don't You don't do need it. it. And like the one, uh, per l'amor di Dio, it doesn't say for the love of God. Yeah, but it happens like, we again. can assume that. It happens again on the next page, l'ufficio del Papa, office of the Pope. Yeah, he, he goes in and out of doing being good at doing his language thing and being bad at it. And He's most an of the inconsistent section he does author is the point. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we're mostly done with this chapter. Yeah, yeah. Um, what happens here? Uh, they get the oh, call through. They meet Superman, who is uh, the, the, the what, what's his name? The Camerlingo. The Camerlingo. Lango? Uh, Camerlingo is not his name. Uh, no, no, it's it's Carlo Ventresca. There it is. Um, also known as Superman. Uh, Dan Brown is so horny for this priest. I mean, rightly so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, can I, I want to read it. Go for it. I want to read it. The camera, it's a whole paragraph. So the camera lingo is nothing like the images of frail, beatific old men Langdon usually imagined roaming the Vatican. He wore no rosary, rosary beads or pendants, no heavy robes. He was dressed instead in a simple black cassock that seemed to, is that how you say that? Cassock? Cassock. Cassock. That seemed to amplify the solidity of his substantial frame. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) He, he looked to be in his late 30s, indeed a child by Vatican standards. He had sur- a surprisingly handsome face, a swirl of coarse brown hair, and almost radiant green eyes that shone as if they were somehow fueled by the mysteries of the universe. <laughs> this guy is nearer, hot. <laughs> well, as he draws nearer, you can see in his eyes a profound exhaustion, <laughs> like a soul who's been through the toughest 15 days in his life. Do you, did they... Who do they cast as the Camerlingo in the movie? Ewan McGregor. What? <laughs> <Really>? Yes. <laughs> I thought you knew that. That's so disappointing. <laughs> I like Ewan McGregor. I imagined a green-eyed Henry Cavill. 
Yeah, I mean, we didn't have Henry Cavill That's true. when they made this movie. <laughs> Could they remake it with Henry Cavill? 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 I don't know. Anyways, the camera lingo uh, is concerned about this Illuminati thing, is the moral of this chapter, and he scolds Olivetti. I want to read a little bit more about the yeah, Camerlengo. Please do. Langdon felt hypnotized by the Camerlengo's presence, young and wearied as he was. <laughs> the priest had the air of some mythical hero, radiating charisma and authority. And look, charisma and authority <laughs> is just all I ask. Like when I'm, all I, I mean, I don't use Tinder, but like. <laughs> uh, Dan Brown also takes this opportunity to um, give a little glow to his. Uh, ambigram friend oh yeah yeah yeah. at the end of it when he's assuring him the illuminati symbol is authentic even modern computers have been unable to forge a symmetrical ambigram of this word on a, on a side note um i'm having my brother do an ambigram of the dan brown code shit your brother's good yeah my brother's really good that's so, so cool he's halfway there he finished it in pencil and he's gonna do it in calligraphy next holy shit that's so cool <laughs> that's very exciting so suck it yeah the friend of dan brown yeah lena's <laughs> brother is better than modern and he's 13 (laughs) and then the last chapter of the section is more of the same thing and they get a call from the illuminati guy um and it gets put through because the operator says he mentioned antimatter which olivetti is like even my most advanced ballistics guide doesn't have anything about this particular explosive and i wrote in my notes use alta vista idiot (laughs) and then a page later the operator is like Oh, antimatter. It seems like it can do some damage. And he's like, I've never heard of it. And he's, the operator's like, I found it online. And I was like, Alta Vista, baby. <laughs> and so that's that so section that's that. for me. Yeah, she says, a ballistics guide. Did you try an encyclopedia, encyclopedia under A? She's so frustrated. She's so <laughs> mad. And she's getting all, her tawny legs are all shaking. Yep. And Yeah, it's, I think we, uh, we, left out, we left on a good note. Because we get like, you know, the mysterious Middle Eastern accent and like, Oh, I didn't hear that. I, didn't, I, I skimmed through that part today, I must admit. Oh, no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. That's in the next chapter. Sorry, oh, okay. that was spoilers. But yeah, they get like a phone call, and and the Camerlingo rammed his finger down on the speakerphone button, hot, and said, who in the name of God do you think you are? Which I think is a great way to end this chapter and a great way to end this section. Well, how much time do you have? Um, we have to do the grades. About if you 15 minutes. Time. Okay, yeah. so let's rapidly get this. So, letter grades... What do you've got for the Dan Brown level of this section? Um, it's very high on Dan Brown. I'm going to give it like an A um, on Dan Brownness, just because of all the emotional availability of Vittoria Vetra out of nowhere. It feels like Dan Brown. Okay. I'm giving it a B minus just because Ooh. nothing happens. Oh, nothing does happen. That's right. Um, and usually like Dan Brown, there is the bad character stuff, but like things are also happening around it, which doesn't happen this, this time was so a, much. This is a boring section. It's very boring. And it, you know, the problem is like when it's boring um, and there's bad character stuff, I just get mad. But when it's, yeah. when it's exciting and there's bad character stuff, I'm like, okay, but like, yeah. like we're on a plane and yeah. And then letter grade on just how much joy this section did or did not bring to you. I had a lot of joy up until chapter 31. Um, so I'm going to give it, a C average because it was I had high joy and then I had very low joy um so average is out to about a C I think I'm also with a C on that one yeah and then um 
the thing that last time I called winners and losers, which very <laughs> stupidly, how did I not realize it? It should clearly have been called angels and demons. <laughs> I apologize to you, the listener, who surely figured this out way before I did. <laughs> so, Lena, who's your angel for this section? My angel is Sylvie, the secretary. Okay. Uh, I think she's, you know, I think, I mean, I'm projecting a lot, but I think she's competent and good at her craft of secretary. <laughs> um, and she's also very French, which I like. Yeah. Peace. Okay, that's all I have to say. And my oh, you want to do your winner? Yeah. Your winner. So or my angel. my angel. <laughs> um, I don't really have one going into this, but I think after the descriptions, it's got to be the camera lingo. Yeah. Just like on a purely physical level. Although on a physical level, yes. I I it, see if I I can say winner for him, but I can't say angel because you know I'm a well, little spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not even. Oh. <laughs> that was more of of a betrayal of my own. Uh, less than saintly feelings toward the Camerlingo. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> um, I mean, Angel, I think we're taking all around to just mean like, like fave. Okay. Um, but yeah, you can also put your own spin on it and it's not a problem. Yeah. Like uh, Sylvie is an angel. Yeah, I Camerlingo like Camerlingo is a hunk of hot and burn in love. Fair enough. Who you got for a demon? For a demon? Um, <laughs> I was thinking about this when I finished the chapter and or the section and I was like, oh, Dan Brown, I hate him. Um, but like, <laughs> <laughs> that's not acceptable. So I'm going to choose, I mean, I feel like Olivetti's low-hanging fruit. Um, I kind of like him. Yeah, me too. For Demon, I'm going to go with kind of just the men in general as like, as pointing out her shorts all the time. Just like, yeah. just like that, that whoever in this chapter talked about her shorts at any point, you, you're a demon. And that counts. I mean, Olivetti's part of that. Yeah, I th- I think my demon's probably pat down Swiss guard. Mm-hmm. Um, he's Italian TSA. I'm not here for it. I don't like him. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, that's it for this week on the Dan Brown Code. Thank you for joining us. Yes. We had fun. And please do so again next time. And I think we'll discuss chapters 41 through 60. Keep the same pace up. Yeah. Um, Every single one of these chapters ends on a cliffhanger because it's yeah, like a poorly one, written book. Yeah. So... Shouldn't be a problem. Okay. And have a good one. Yeah, have a good one. Stay safe out there.